we're doing, we're going through the book of Acts, and I'm learning so much. Are you learning a lot? I'm learning. I've studied the book of Acts several times, but I'm learning so much. I've been listening to a podcast uh, uh, that some of you guys may be familiar with, Marty Solomon's podcast, The Bema Discipleship. Are you laughing about it? Yeah, yeah. It's run through Charles. All right, yes. Yes, it's so good. He's, he's like a Messianic Jewish teacher guy. I think we've spoken at a few places. Some of my friends know him personally, and so I've been like digging his stuff, so I, I highly recommend it. But also you listen to some of his stuff from the Jewish perspective, and you're like, man, I never saw that before. I've been reading this all wrong, and, but don't flip out. It's just good. It provides a lot of background for our faith and our beliefs in Jesus. Uh, but it's really helped me even in looking at Acts and this whole dilemma they're going through with the Jews and the Gentiles and how it was such a Jewish church from the beginning. God began from the, so how was that really, um, and what we're going to look at in Acts chapter 10 today, I think will, will give us some insight thinking about uh, when he's, when Cornelius, this Gentile centurion is going to become a Christian. This is such a huge, huge deal. Um, but also I realized there's a lot of people kind of coming out of church and studying the Bible and learning things for the first time. And there's a lot of times we'll read over things and if you've never read that before, you're like, what? So-and-so was raised from the dead, or they're speaking in tongues, and these, these miraculous things are happening. And you're like, how, did, how does that happen? So, so I thought it'd be cool to talk about miracles and angels, because we're about to see another message from an angel again. And I don't just want to read over these things and be like, okay, we'll just accept it. Uh, well, a miracle. What is a miracle? Let's just talk a little bit about that. Well, if Jesus is Lord over all creation, that means he's not just Lord of our lives. He's Lord of the squirrels and of the elephants and of the flowers and of the clouds and all of nature and natural laws. So if you're Lord over all things and you have power over all things, it would only make sense that that if someone is really Lord of all these things, they would have power to control these things. Um, and so let's think about some laws that we are able to change. What are some laws we're able to change? If you're in school, maybe you can change, you know, rally to change the dress code. We want to be able to wear hats at school. We're going to get a petition, and we're going to do this, and we can change that and get the student council and the teachers, and maybe somehow, some way, after years and years, you can change the dress code in the school. No, it's not going to happen at Roger Bacon. Nope, not. But it's possible you could change that law because the school makes that law, don't they? Or we could change local laws. What would be a law we want to change in Wilmington? Oh. Charging the park at the beach. Oh, we could change that law. These greedy beach people want our money. So we're going to change that law. And we could get our local politicians and have a vote. And could we in this community bring change and change that law? We could do that. That could, that could happen. Uh, the state could change a law. The federal government could change a law. Uh, what are some laws that the federal government can't change? Natural laws. We can't say, hey, you know, let's, yeah, let's change gravity this day. Everybody's going to fly around. It's going to save a lot of gas. You know, they're going to fly today. Let's make that law. We can't make that law because we never made that law to begin with. Laws that we make, we can change, can't we? 
So if Jesus really is God, he not only is over all, you know, these other types of laws, he is over natural law. And yes, even moral law. All these, he is over everything. He's in charge of this. So if Jesus wanted to change gravity and he is Lord over all creation, could he? Yes. Now, if he couldn't, then there would be a problem. You can't change. I thought you were Lord. I thought you made all this. If you made it, you should be able to have dominion over that. And that's exactly what a miracle is. is the demonstration that Jesus has power or a prophet who's been given power from God has given the authority from God to change that law. So, so if Jesus is walking on the water, he is Lord over the molecules of water. Normally, you would sink. But he's saying, no, I made that law. I'm going to change that. Is it just for his fun, his kicks and giggles that he wanted to make? You know, No, it's, it's to prove a point. Hey, look, it's to show you all I have authority. It's when he raises somebody from the dead. And, he's, and also Jesus is going to give this same authority to who? The apostles. He's going to give them the authority to drive out demons, to heal the sick and to raise the dead. For what reasons? For authority's sake. So when people see this happen, they preach, they realize they've been given authority by God. And that's what miracles are. Um, angels. What are angels? Ooh. Um, these are very interesting characters in the Bible. They're not human. They're not human. They're a different being. A celestial being that make their way into our realm from time to time. They're angels, our messengers. They're messengers for, for the Lord. They're going to carry his message. Um, the way I like to think about angels, uh, it's kind of like when I was at camp growing up, I used to play foosball. Am I like foosball? Like, you know, I never was all that good at it, you know, and, but because uh, I always like to like, you know, cheat and rock the table and, you know, I get in trouble for it. Um, but uh, we had, at camp, we had this horrible foosball table that had these, like, little divots in the middle, and the ball would always get stuck. You know, you're trying to go. It's like, oh, and you're doing this, and then the ball's just sitting there. Nobody can kick it. You ever been there before? Ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So what you'd have to do, you'd have to reach in and get the little ball and have to restart it because there's nothing you can do. So, so imagine that we're all the foosball table. You know, we're going by the laws of nature, and there's certain boundaries we have. We can, and and the, the ball gets stuck. And, and God's like, okay, we got to send in the angel. Let's reset this. And I think angels help us get unstuck. It's a very, it's where God reaches in and intervenes. It's like, they're not going to get this unless I send Gabriel or Michael. All right, guys, so you're stuck. I'll help you out. And the angel's going to help that along. So we'll see angels appear when, when we get all stuck. And that's what we're going to see here in the story of Cornelius. We're going to see God go like, oh, they're not going to get this. I got I to gotta reach. All right, come on. I don't even know the name of this angel, but some angel. Let's go. The ball's stuck there. We got we to help him out here. We got to reset a little bit to keep this going. And, and that's kind of one way I think about like how God's going to intervene with miracles, with angels. It's not the norm of life. It's, you don't expect to see this all the time. It only happens in, in, in uh, it's a very exceptional case, a very exceptional case. Um, and so especially when big things are happening in, in God's kingdom, like there's, uh, you know, this 
uh, of course, when Jesus comes, there's going to be a lot of this kind of stuff going on because God's going to have to help us through this, through the Mosaic Covenant or Abraham or different things that are happening, big moments. We usually see God have to work to bring us through those big moments uh, throughout God's history. So we're going to see a lot of that kind of happening in uh, the book of Acts because God is, is doing a lot. Does that make sense? Kind of help us through a little bit? So I don't want to minimize this because we'll read through some things like, wow, an angel, cool. But I know we have to think about that. Well, let's go ahead and read. We're in Acts chapter 10. We're going to see how God is working, again, to bring inclusion. The gospel is inclusive. Inclusive, an invitation for all of mankind. And God is trying to get this message across, and he's going to continue to do that through the conversion of Cornelius. Where are we? Well, this story is going to happen between Joppa and Caesarea. Uh, here we are, Joppa. This again is modern day Tel Aviv. And this is where Peter's going to be hanging out. A guy's house named Simon. He's a tanner. So we call him Simon the Tanner. Doesn't mean he's laying out on the beach getting a suntan. No, he's tanning hides. Okay, uh, he's the tanner. And Cornelius is going to be up here at Caesarea. Now, there are a lot of Caesareas in the Bible. Have you seen that a lot? It's a common name for a city. Because it's named after who? Caesar. But uh, this is Caesarea Maritime. And there's also Caesarea Philippi. There's all these Caesareas that are being built in the honor of Caesar. But this is where Cornelius is going to be living. Cornelius is a centurion. And, and, and Caesarea was, Maritime was, was built by King Herod to honor Caesar. It's a pretty new city. It is a Roman City. It looks like Rome. It feels like Rome. In fact, well, I was going to do this at the end of the, the uh, I'll do this now because it's kind of interesting. We're going to show pictures. Uh, this is uh, in November. We got to go visit Caesarea Maritime. It's, it's still there. Nobody lives there anymore. But these are the, these are the ruins. Uh, this aqueduct right here, it goes for how many, like 17 miles, 12 miles? This huge aqueduct to bring fresh water to this city. Isn't that amazing? And it has to be on this, this, this gradual uh, incline or decline to bring the water. It's just, just for, for 17 miles. These guys were incredible builders, incredible architects. So this thing goes to bring fresh water there. Um, this is kind of, this is, I love this, this, this is Doug Jacoby who's, who's teaching us. And you'll see, the first thing we saw, we were walking into the, the back of the Colosseum. And you'll see why they chose this place, because it's right out to the Mediterranean Sea. And you walk in the Colosseum, and you'll see the first thing you see is this beautiful scenery, uh, having this theater look right out uh, among, the, uh, among the sea. Look at this uh, perspective here. Let's see if I can, oop. Watch this. So you're walking into the, to the theater, and look what you see. Right out there to the, to the Mediterranean Sea. Isn't that beautiful? So this is the original theater. They still do some things there from time to time. So there's a theater there in Caesarea Maritime. What else do we have here? Uh, this is where King Herod actually built his, his uh, house was right here. One, one of King Herod's uh, palaces was right there on the water. That's the, that's the foundation of it right there. So he had this really great view of the water every morning. King Herod had it made. This is kind of a map of what the city was. They built this harbor here, a man-made harbor, so it would be great for trade. This is incredible. Here's where Herod's house would have been. Um, see this harbor they built? 
the beautiful water there. I think there's, you can actually see it. It's just crystal clear water. It's just beautiful. This city was just a bustling Roman city, just beautiful. It would have been a really cool place to live. Uh, had a lot of entertainment going on, very Roman. Uh, here's the Hippodrome. The Hippodrome, they had all the chariot races and gladiator things going on. This was a Roman, Roman city. This thing, I think we're walking around here. Look how big this thing is. This is, this is where they would race the chariots all around here. And it's facing, again, right out on the Mediterranean. And I think the, uh, the royalty would sit right here. And they'd watch the chariots go by, the best seats to see all the violence. Okay, So this is, uh, this is, this is Caesarea Maritime. It's very wealthy. You see the marble? This is an uh, aristocratic uh, bathroom. Okay, uh, Marble floors, the bathhouse there. Uh, very wealthy. This is where Cornelius was stationed. This city, Caesarea Maritime. All right, isn't it cool to kind of see that? This is a real place. So this is what's happening. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Let's read this story together. So we kind of got the setting. We kind of see what's, where they are. So here we are at Caesarea. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So let's talk a little bit about Cornelius. So what type of guy is he? He's very important. He's a centurion, so he is, he is a leader in the Roman army. And he's a really good guy, isn't he? He's a really good guy. He's giving to the poor. He's generous. He's this really great guy. He's got a heart to serve others. He's got a noble heart. And also, he fears God, doesn't he? Not just, not Zeus, but he fears Yahweh. He fears the God of Israel. So here's a Gentile Roman who has come to faith in the God of Israel. That's a big, big deal. So he's grown up Roman. He's heard all these stories. But he's, in his mind, he's, he's reasoned. He's like, wow, these, these mythological characters, these little idols we have, and this is kind of bogus, man. What's going on with this? And he saw the God of Israel, and he came to faith. Now, that is a God I can believe in. That makes sense to me. That's not a God made up by human beings. That's, a, that's the real God. And he started worshiping, and he, he and his entire family would pray to the God of Israel. This is amazing. Now, who studied the Bible with Cornelius? Who helped him come to faith? God, again, don't we see God's spirit working? He had come to faith. He saw when, when people are really following God, uh, people even see it from a distance and will come to faith. Now, he's a little bit lost because how do you worship as a Gentile? How do we do that? And he was trying to figure out how do I do this? Maybe similar to how the Ethiopian felt. 
So he was praying, and, and this angel appears to him. And how does he respond when he sees the angel? Oh, great, it's an angel. Woo. No, he, he, he bows in fear. So if you ever see an angel, for real, it's, it's not going to be, oh, cool, an angel. It's going to be, oh, Lord, help me. It's going to be, I mean, every time somebody sees an angel, they're scared to death. They're scared to death. Lord, what do I do? Well, I'm looking out for you. I've heard your prayers. You know, God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. I believe that God hears anybody's prayers who really is seeking for him. I, really, I believe he does. I believe God is listing people's prayers all over the world right now, this very moment. God was listing to Cornelius' prayers, especially because he had a noble heart. And he was wanting to serve others. and seek, He had a seeker's heart. So here we go. And he sends for Peter. So also, let's see, here again, we're seeing how the hand of God is going to reach down onto the foosball table and do things. Here's what God's doing. He's, he's, he's reaching down because the Jews weren't figuring this out, and Peter wasn't figuring this out quick enough. So Peter, he's back in Joppa. He goes up on the roof to pray. So Peter's praying too. It's amazing what happens when we're praying to God. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. I can relate to Peter, can't you? All right. The meal was being prepared. He fell into a trance. I usually fall into a trance after my meal, but he got it before. He saw heaven open in something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was standing there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Isn't this so cool? Isn't this so cool how, you know, Cornelius is praying, and, and, and God says, hey, send for this guy, and Peter's praying, and, and God gives him this vision, and then these guys knock at the door, and it's like, oh, like, okay, who's the main character? Who's doing this? Well, it's the Holy Spirit doing this. You ever experienced that in your life? Yes, you have where you're praying for something, God, I really need help with this, and then somebody gives you that call, you know, oh, I needed that encouragement. Or maybe you didn't see it coming a certain way, but God is working. Oh, that's what you were doing, God, making those connections. I love the stories when people, and I've so many times, it's like I was praying in my dorm room for God to help me, and the next morning, you know, somebody's knocking at my door asking me to come to Bible talk. And it's, I mean, those things happen all the time. And I think even as we go and we share our faith, we got to realize that God's, it's not just on, God's already been working in people's lives. And I believe he's leading us, and, and it's not just circumstantial. I believe God is leading his people. Uh, but the key is, let's, let's go up to the roof and pray about it, you know. As, as in prayer, I think we learn so much about where God is leading us. So anyway, they show up, they get together, and let's see what happens. We've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. So he's got the respect of the Jews. The holy angel told him to ask 
you to come to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. So Cornelius is going to ask Peter to come to his house. You see any problem with that? Mm, what's the problem? Do Jews go to the house of Gentiles? No, they don't. They don't. And we're going to see it's even part of the oral law that they have. You don't go into a Gentile's house. Why? Because they're not eating kosher food and all this stuff. It could make you unclean and all this stuff happening. And so, so I want you to come to my Right away, Peter, Peter is, is being invited to something that he normally would not do. But this, he knows the Spirit is guiding him. So he's going to break this barrier and even this oral tradition to do what the Holy Spirit is prompting him. So Peter invited the men uh, into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives, his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Look at the humility of Cornelius, the centurion. Wow. Peter made him get up, stand up. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against the law, against our law, and he's meaning the oral law, not the, not the Torah, for the Jew, a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you who sent for me? Cornelius answered three days ago. I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man shining clothes and shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Look at this guy. Do you think he's hungry to learn? Yes. Yes. He's been longing for this moment. He's been trying to have some outlet for his faith. He's felt limited. I believe in this guy, but I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to worship him. God is leading me. And finally, God has sent me somebody. So I am going to learn. Teach me, please. You know, what a great spot to be in. To be hungry to learn and finally have somebody willing and knowledgeable to sit down and explain the scriptures to you. I think it's a great place for all of us. I don't care where we've been. I don't care what type of authority we have, a centurion or whatever we are. To learn from somebody who can teach us the Bible, we need to have this same type of hunger. And he was a spiritual man. He was a godly man. He knew a lot about the faith, but he was ready to learn, and God was going to teach him. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news, the peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, 
but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. So he's, he's giving them the message of Jesus, who he is and what he did and why he did it. He who was not seen by the, all the people but witnesses, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses from whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So you can see, if, if Cornelius really believes these guys are speaking to me the real message of God, he's just taking this in. He's soaking his sin. Oh, this is about Jesus. The prophets were teaching us all about Jesus. Oh, you saw this. Oh, I want to know more and know more. And then look what happens next. Peter was still speaking. And the Holy Spirit comes on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jewish people that came with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. So they're shocked. They heard these Gentiles speaking in tongues and praising God. So where's the last time they saw this happen? Pentecost, they're all reminded about what happened at Pentecost when God finally, you know, poured out his spirit. Remember that scene in Acts chapter 2? Fire comes down out of heaven and the apostles start speaking in all these other tongues. And, and so there was this, oh, look what God did among the Jews to start this. And now that exact thing is happening to the Gentiles, those who are unclean. Now, can God take somebody who's unclean and put his spirit on them and in them? Well, that's a good question, you know. Was Balaam's donkey unclean or was uh, Saul in the Old Testament unclean? And probably, I, I think one thing you got to understand, we can't limit the Holy Spirit all the time. You know, God does what he wants to do. So I don't want to overstep my bounds here. But generally what they're seeing is like, wow, God is putting his stamp of approval on the Gentiles. So God gives this. Again, God's hand is reaching down and... Placing the football back in play, all right? Because they weren't getting it. They were stuck. So, verse 47, surely, Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So I imagine Peter, I mean, God, God really helped Peter out. Because he's got, actually going to have six other guys with him. So there's seven of them. And from what I understand, it took like seven witnesses to have something really fact before the Sanhedrin and those types of things. So maybe that's all in play here. But Peter's like, um, y'all going to stop them from being baptized? He puts it on everybody else. Can any of you guys object? And they're all like, well, no, no we can't object. God's doing this. We can't object to what God is doing. So they baptize these new believers in the name of Jesus. Uh, well, Kevin, I thought you received the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. How do they get the Holy Spirit before they get baptized? Again, I mean, this is exceptional. This is not the normative kind of thing here. Again, God's hand is reaching down a little bit out of the ordinary. So God can do what he's going to do. If you want somebody to hunt the Holy Spirit, he's going to do it. And that's what he does right here. That doesn't change the normative response we have in Christ from being baptized uh, in today and receiving his spirit. So it doesn't really change that doctrine in our case. And we can talk more about that if you're a little confused. Just hang on to it. It's a great study on baptism. Baptism is an amazing thing. Um, 
So what's the message here? It's a message of inclusion. And we're going to see this going on throughout the rest of Acts. God is, is working to bring all people to a knowledge of him. Uh, this is a huge, huge deal. Peter's mind is going to change a lot on this. And we'll see a lot that what's happening right here. Um, he's going to go back and report to the Jews about what happened. And then they're going, to have, they're going to have a hard time accepting this. And eventually they're going to go to the Council of Jerusalem. And a lot of things are going to be decided. But this was like the big deal. The big, big deal back then. How do we deal with the Gentiles? And God is saying, hey, I love them. And they don't have to become Jewish to be saved. And so we'll talk more and more about that. But I want to specifically today just talk about Cornelius. Cornelius becomes a Christian. Really the first full Gentile conversion. Ethiopian, yeah, maybe, but he could have been Jewish. I don't know. But here, this is clearly Gentile, okay? He's not Samaritan. And God's making a real point here in this, uh, in this conversion, not just for the Gentiles, but for Peter and for the church. Um, I think the centurion represents a lot of people who are trying to live good lives. A lot of people are trying to live. A, you ever just met somebody just, just a good person? I mean, sweet Aunt B down the street, you know, just making everybody pies and doing good things. Um, and, and part of our Christianity, and this may this step on a little bit of our, on our toes, on my toes too, like we, Aunt B needs to be convicted of all her horrible sins, put Jesus on the cross. I mean, she needs to take responsibility for Jesus, but Aunt B is a pretty good person. And God honors that. God's happy about that. Because here's what I think. I, and I especially want to speak to, to young folks here, young people, middle school, high school, college students. To be converted into Jesus, you don't have to be, become this horrible sinner and do these horrible things and then have this huge conversion experience where I, I, I got to rock bottom and I came to realization because I was involved in immorality and drunkenness. And, and you hear these stories of people who convert to Christianity like, wow, they have a real conversion Wow, I, my conversion is just, you know, I grew up in church and I had to come to faith and surrender my life to Jesus. So maybe I didn't really get converted. No! Living a godly life is awesome. Living a godly life is amazing and it's honorable. And people take note of that. Cornelius was a good, noble man who, yes, still needed salvation through Jesus. But I think we need to be careful because living a life free of sin saves us from so much heartache. When we sin and we need to make bad choices and say, I'm going to not do things God's way and I'm going to be immoral. I'm going to live a time in my life of, of giving in to drunkenness or, or, or deceit or these things. And yes, you can be forgiven of anything and everything. But sin will, will, will make your life and people around you miserable. It, it, it breaks us down. And we do pay the consequences of those sins our entire life. We do. 
God came, and Jesus came to save us from sin. Um, we all need salvation. Even the good people need salvation, all right, because we all have sin, all right? Let me, let me, I mean, any parent knows that, that uh, every good kid is a sinner, don't you, parents? I mean, um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, that Cornelius didn't need to be saved from his sin and take responsibility. He did. Everybody sinned. Cornelius, he was a centurion in the Roman army, for crying out loud. I'm sure he's a good man, but I'm sure he sinned. He was around this, this worldly world. And, um, but I remember even our kids. I think we have, I have good kids. Who doesn't think they have good kids? But, but you know what my kids are? My kids are liars. My kids are liars. <laughs> Told them all this morning, a bunch of liars. Uh, and, and every kid lies. I don't care who, every kid lies. Every kid lies. I know I did growing up. But, uh, but we always kind of you know, waited for that moment when our kid was going to tell their first lie. And I want to share about Blake's first lie today. He was about three or four years old. He was really into Transformers. Oh, I love Transformers. And when Blake gets into something, he is like in it. You know, he's, he's Legos. And he's like, his, just engulfs his, his whole everything. And uh, there was, so we're going to church one morning. I was already at church, and Elizabeth was getting the kids ready to go. And, uh, and he was going to bring his transformer. And he said, we don't, we're not going to bring transformers to church, son. And so, so he said, oh, I can't bring my transformer. So he walks back in the room, and he comes back out, and he says, Mommy, I have decided not to bring my transformer to church. And he said, he announced it like that, right? And, and, but right in his front pocket, this big old bulge, like a transforming, like a little arm hanging out. I will not break. I mean, it was like this little three or four-year-old kid, you know, he was, he was really chubby back then, too. I decided not to bring my transformers to church, Mom. You know, just lying through his teeth. And you, and you as a parent, you're like, you're just brokenhearted. You're like, oh, my son is a sinner. He's a liar. And, and you know, you just get, but, but you also know that's just, that's, that's who we are. That's who we are. And, and as parents, we have to teach them. And he got a spanking. It was a big deal. It's a big deal. Because if you grow up without understanding the consequences of lying, it, it ruins relationships. It ruins trust, doesn't it? So and all of our kids have had those similar experiences. And we need to teach our kids and train them that sin is bad. It destroys. But Blake needs salvation. I need salvation. Everyone, the centurion needed salvation. Cornelius is a sinner, but he was a good man, and God used him. He was honorable. You know, I think there are good people around here. Yeah, there are people who are on drugs, and there are people who are this and on that. They need salvation, and the good people need salvation. But, but we can bring them along, and I think, I think the centurion was encouraged by God. You know what? I have heard your prayers, and I have seen your life. I have seen your good deeds. I have seen your heart for the poor. And I love, I love you. I love, I think about the rich, I do think about the rich young ruler. Jesus looked at him. Mark chapter 10, you can look it up. He looked at him and what did he do? He loved him. This man has been striving to honor me. Now he challenged him. And Cornelius is going to have a great challenge. Can you imagine Cornelius? I mean, now he's, he's this Roman Centurion, who was a Christian, he's going to have a lot of responsibility and weight on him. 
And if you even watch the play upside down, you'll see their take on what happened to Cornelius is that he gave his life for Jesus Christ. So he was challenged. So it is a call. The way I'm trying to say is, if you're young, thank the Lord you're young and you're here today. Because God is giving you and giving all of us an opportunity to live a godly life. You need salvation like anybody else does. But God honors that. Live a good life. Live an honorable life. Live an unselfish life. See, see the fallacy and all the things going around you. What the, the other young people are getting into and doing. See through that. And say, no, I want to honor God with my life. Centurion, uh, Cornelius the centurion was really honored by God by the way he lived his life. Isn't that cool? I think it's really cool for us to see because we do see all those big stories of the neon centers, the huge, crazy change, and that's amazing too. That is amazing too. But it is so amazing to see someone who honors, really strives to honor God with their life from a very young age. Um, we looked at these pictures already. We got ahead of ourselves. Let's close in Acts 11. We don't have time, but Peter goes back and, and he tells everybody what happened. And the people in Jerusalem, they just have to accept it. In verse 18, they heard the explanation of what had happened. The Jews who were really critical of Peter. Peter, Peter was getting a lot of heat, a lot of heat from this. But they had no further objections and they praised God. They said, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of what God had done. He was glad and encouraged encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the image we're getting here is God is working all over, and he's pulling all different people around, the different, different parts of the movement that God is doing is, 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 is shaping through different people. Saul's got his thing going on. Peter's doing this. There's Jerusalem's happening. Cornelius. Okay, we have Barnabas, who another is another noble, noble man. Like a Steve, how God is using these noble character, godly men and women to, to lead the early church. Um, and we're seeing that the, the centralized part of the church starting to shift a little bit to a new city. What's this new city? Antioch. Antioch. So what we're going to see, where Jerusalem was where it all kind of started, remember how the theme scripture, how it's going to go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth? Jerusalem is, is still Jerusalem. I mean, it's, it's a lot going on there, but it's, it's a very, very Jewish church. And it's going to remain pretty much a, a very Jewish church. But uh, 
the central place of missions is going to switch from Jerusalem to a new city here in Antioch. And it's the gateway uh, to Asia, the gateway going into your gateway to Rome, and a lot's going to happen in the church at Antioch. And it says, interesting, the disciples were called what? First to Antioch? Christians. It's where we get the word Christian for the very first time. They've been known as the way. They've been known as disciples or followers of Jesus. But now they take on a new term. This is 10 years or so after Jesus. They become known as the Christians. Christians. We should not take that name lightly. It is not our society. We don't live in a Christian nation. Or go. Christian means being like Christ. Taking, if we're going to take upon the name of Jesus Christ, we need to take that very, very seriously. The first century church certainly, certainly did and certainly gave their life in many occasions for that. So we'll see the message going out uh, from Antioch and then we're we'll going to Ephesus, we'll get all kind of places here, but this is going to be the center of, uh, of the staging place for missions in Paul's missionary journeys. Cornelius, what a great character. What a great hero in the Bible. Uh, let's be inspired and informed by, and aware of what God is doing, how his spirit is continuing to work all around us. Um, let us long to live noble lives, unselfish lives, godly lives, always knowing that salvation does only come through Jesus Christ. That is true. Um, but living for God is always, always an amazing gift, an amazing gift we get to have in living amongst God's ways.